Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part one of the first book of Samuel, chapters 21 through 26. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, today we are studying 1 Samuel, chapters 21 through 26, and three Psalms, Psalm 34, Psalm 52, and Psalm 56. The theme today is taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, last week we had best friends forever, and we were talking about the incredible covenant friendship between David and Jonathan, how the Lord was the center of their relationship, and they would lay down their lives for one another. They made up a code to see if Saul was really trying to kill David or not, and Jonathan said, if I say it's not the arrow beyond you, you'll know it's true. My father Saul wants you dead. If you hear that code, and sure enough, Jonathan said, is not the arrow beyond you. It was true. Saul wanted David dead. Jonathan said to David, go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. David rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. The two covenant friends must separate because Saul wants David dead. And suddenly, David is a man on the run. His life is in jeopardy. He has nothing with him, but he's a man on the run. And he runs to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, the high priest, the 12th high priest of Israel. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling, and he said, why are you alone, and why is no one with you, David? Well, David tells a little white lie. David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king, Saul, the king has charged me with the matter and said to me, let no one else know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what have you at hand? So David is not going to give the high priest much information, whether that's for his own protection the protection of the high priest or for David's protection, not knowing who's going to ask him what. He might be protecting the high priest of Israel. But he says, give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. Now, this isn't just any old bread. This is five loaves. The priest says, I have no common bread. I have no just normal bread. There's only the holy bread, the sacred bread, the consecrated bread. The priest answered David, I have no common bread at hand, but there's the holy bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women, because you must be such a pure vessel to eat this holy bread. So we're talking about holy bread. There's no temple yet, but this is consecrated bread or holy bread that can only be eaten by consecrated people, priests at that time, were the only ones consecrated, set apart from the rest of the people, made holy. And God had sent this up through the 40 years of desert wanderings. God had told Moses exactly what he wanted this tabernacle on earth to look like because it matched God's heavenly tabernacle. We know that from Hebrews 9. It was an exact replica of the heavenly tabernacle. And God told Moses exactly 
how it was to look. The tabernacle of the Lord, it was called. And in the 40 years of wandering, they take it down, set it up, take it down, set it up, take it down, set it up. It was a place for God to dwell. God was with them. It was a meeting place between holy, holy, holy God and sinful man. And the intercessors were the priests and the priesthood. The tabernacle was a dwelling place for God, a meeting place for God and man, particularly Moses. It was a pillar of cloud by day the Lord had put, had marked it, and at night there was a pillar of fire. And it was, the main part of it was called the Holy of Holies or the Tabernacle. It was the absolute holiest place on the face of the earth because it was where the living God was present with mankind. And you'll remember from our study of the Exodus what was in that holy place. The holiest, holiest thing was the Ark of the Covenant in the very northern part. But then there was a curtain four inches thick, but right in front of the curtain were three things. A golden table with the bread of the presence, a golden lampstand with seven burning flames, and the golden altar of incense. Before that was a brazen laver. It had water that the priest could wash, and there was always the altar for burning the offering. Now we know in Hebrews 9 what was inside the ark. There was the golden urn of manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God. And on the top of the ark was called something the mercy seat, the mercy seat of God, where God would come and sit and talk with man. So for 40 years in the desert wanderings, they carried this thing around. They set it up, they took it down. They set it up, they took it down. They set it up, they took it down. And remember in 1 Samuel 5, the Philistines captured the Ark of God. And that was horrible. The Ark of God had gone missing. So we really want to focus on that tabernacle section, especially in the Holy of Holies. And there were three holy actions that could take place in that tabernacle in that sanctuary, that tabernacle. It would later be the temple when it finally got a permanent place to dwell. But the area closest to the Holy of Holies that had to be carried out by the priesthood exclusively, the lighting of the golden lampstand, the burning of incense on the golden altar, and the replacement of the bread of the presence on the golden table every Sabbath. Now, in 1 Samuel 21, David, is asking for this holy bread. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest said, I don't have any common bread, only the holy sacred bread of God, the holy bread. And this is important because God had told them to stack these loaves of bread, six and six, and on the top put two cups of incense. And the Septuagint states that there was also salt mixed with the frankincense, and these were warm loaves of bread. And that frankincense on the warm bread would give off a wonderful aroma, right? And in the Greek, this aroma is called anemonesis. And it, it's a memorial to God a thanksgiving to God, and you smell it. And if you know anything about smell and your olfactory sense, it's very closely connected with memory in your brain and emotions, right? And sense of smell is directly linked with emotion and memory in the human brain. So when the people would smell that frankincense and the warm loaves of bread that activated the incense and gave off a most pleasant aroma and a link to memory, a thanksgiving to God, a perpetual thanksgiving to God. In the, in the Greek, it's called a Eucharist, 
a perpetual thanksgiving to always remember this holy bread. And, and always remember, they also called it in Exodus, the bread of the presence. Always remember the presence of God is with us. In this holy place, God travels with us. And Plato, the Greek philosopher, talks about anamnesis, and he says it's the remembering of things of previous existence. And in the Catholic Mass, in every single one of our Eucharistic prayers, there's a section, a part of the prayer called the amnesis, and it means the remembering. For instance, the most common Eucharistic prayer is number two, and it says, therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life, the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. That's what the priest says, that you have held us worthy to be in your presence of this holy bread. There's this memory of this holy bread, and you have held us worthy to be in your presence. It's the anemonesis of the Eucharistic prayer. Now, this is what the priest says, not a Levitical priest in our case at Mass, but a priest even further back in the order of Melchizedek. That's what Jesus is, and that's what David is. David's not a Levite, okay? Only the Levitical priest could eat the holy bread. But now, in the Eucharist, this holy bread, the priest says that you have held us worthy to be in your presence, Lord. And when we come up to get the holy bread, we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, come into my tabernacle, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Those are the words of the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, 8. A Roman centurion. And Jesus marveled at the Roman centurion, and he said to his followers, truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So belief in Jesus makes us worthy. That's what the centurion, he believed what Jesus could do. He knew of his authority, and that made him worthy to have his friend be healed. Because Jesus is the eternal high priest. He's not from the tribe of Levi, he's from the tribe of Judah, which means he's a Melchizedekian priest. He is the eternal victim because he is the Lamb of God that was sacrificed and that was the final sacrifice ever needed because his blood sacrifice was once for all. He was the victim and the priest who offered the sacrifice to the Father and the Father accepted it. Now, he's the new bread of the face, the face of God. Jesus is present in this bread. He is the bread of the presence. The presence of what? The presence of God. So when he comes into your body, you become a tabernacle. Oh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Lord, I'm not worthy that you, God of the universe, holy God, should come to me and live under my roof, live in my tabernacle, my sanctuary. But if you say the word, then I will be healed. Do I believe that? Do I believe that? We are not worthy, but Jesus heals us and makes us worthy. We become tabernacles, dwelling places for God, not on our own, but by his healing power of our eternal souls. We've been so wounded living in this fallen, disordered world. But did you know when you receive the bread of the presence, the true presence of God, when you receive communion, all your venial sins are healed by Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. All your venial sins are taken away. We become a human tabernacle, a human dwelling place for the living God. Talk about restored dignity of a beloved daughter or a beloved son of God. Wow, 
He heals you of every venial sin. And he tells us in Hebrews 9, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's already dealt with sin, but he's coming again for us who are waiting. Already in the second century, Ignatius of Antioch, on his way to be eaten by the lions in the Colosseum, he called the Eucharist the medicine of immortality because he knew Jesus heals him through the Eucharist and makes him holy and makes him a tabernacle. And the anamnesis is that remembering remembering of things from a previous existence. And the showbread, it was called, those 12 loaves, showbread or shewbread in Hebrew is called lakem hapenim, and it literally translates as face bread. It's called face bread, bread of the face. That bread was in the garden of Eden. It was a tree of life. God said, eat from this tree of life as much as you want. Eat from it all the time. You'll live forever. You'll be immortal. But oh no, we wanted to know evil. So even though God had given us the tree of life to eat from and live forever to be immortal, we ate from the other tree and became mortal. And we now had mortal sin on our soul. They were banished from face-to-face -face talk with God, and they were banished from that face bread on the tree. The tree of life was Jesus in disguise. He was there all along, and he was the face bread on that tree, banished from access by God's mercy because face bread makes you live forever, and now they have mortal sin on their soul, and you don't want to eat bread that makes you live forever when you have mortal sin on your soul because you'll be forever separated from God. So in God's greatest mercy, eternally separated because of mortal sin on their souls now, this is why they're called mortal instead of immortal like they used to be. And with mortal sin on their soul, they never would get to eat face bread because that makes you live forever with no chance of a face-to-face -face eternity with God. But then God sent himself in the second person, Jesus Christ, his son, and Jesus was the face of the Father's mercy. In his plan all along, the Eucharist is the bread of the face again. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life, eternal life. Eat me and you'll live forever. He's that bread. He's that face bread bread, the bread of life, the one who fed us the face bread, Jesus himself, the son of David, the son of God. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. He multiplied the five loaves. Jesus is the new eternal high priest. Five loaves was only for the high priest. The face bread who showed us once again the face of God and through the epiclesis at mass, that's the coming down of the Holy Spirit, Jesus puts himself into the bread to feed us his human brothers and sisters. And it's called the bread of the presence, the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And he is still with us always to this day. He promised he would be with us till the end of the age. And not just in the Holy Spirit, but also in himself. He says in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the end of the age before he ascends back to the Father. That's the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28. I am with you always in the face bread, the bread of the face. And still, like they have the golden menorah in that section of the tabernacle, we still have a golden candle kept lit by the priesthood of the Jesus in the order of Melchizedek, 
who preceded the Levitical priesthood. You see the, the, their tabernacle is over there, and the red candle is the golden. It, it shows you that Jesus is present. It's lit. Jesus is present in the Eucharist, and we still use a golden tabernacle. Just see how similar these look to the tabernacle in the desert where the bread of the face is, the bread of the true presence. It's kept by the priests in a golden tabernacle. And the primary and most distinctive feature of the Catholic Church is a box or a cabinet called the tabernacle. It's made of gold, and it should be front and center in the church always. Pope Benedict taught us this or reinforce this again in his document called Sacramentum Caritanus, he said that the tabernacle should be in the most worthy place with the greatest of honor. The correct positioning of the tabernacle constitutes the recognition of Christ's real presence in the blessed sacrament. Therefore, the place where the Eucharist species are reserved, marked by a sanctuary lamp, should be really visible to everyone entering the church. It should be the Holy of Holies. It should be the highest place in the church. It should be somewhere where every Everyone sees it, and there should always be a light burning to signify it's there. It's the tabernacle, and it houses the Panis Angelicus, the bread of angels, the body of Jesus Christ. Many shapes of tabernacles all over the world. I love to study them at churches I visit. They, these ones look like the Ark of the Covenant. These teach us something. Every tabernacle teaches us something about the great mystery of the Eucharist, and they have a light burning, a candle glowing. Jesus in this one is the mercy seat on top of the ark of the new covenant in this Catholic tabernacle. I love that one. So you see all the Jewish things that used to be in the tabernacle. We now see them in our churches in a little bit different way. The, the holy water font is like the bronze lever with the water in it. The candle is like the menorah. The incense is like the altar of incense, the altar and the tabernacle where the holy of holies belongs, Jesus Christ. He is the bread of the face. Now, in the olden days for the Jews, the bread was changed every Sabbath by the priests only. The priests would have to consume the bread. They had to eat every crumb of it. They couldn't waste any, couldn't let any of it go because it's holy bread. It's sacred bread. It must be consumed. What does the priest do after communion? Every crumb of the golden vessel that's holding Jesus, every crumb is consumed. The high priest would get five loaves every week for he and his family, and the rest of the priest would share seven loaves, the other seven loaves. Only a priest could eat the sacred bread. Only a priest could eat the sacred bread. And during each of the three annual required pilgrimage festivals, Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot, when all the pilgrims had to come to the temple in the days of the temple, the priests would carry out on those three high holidays, they would carry out the golden menorah, the golden table with the holy bread of the presence on the table. The priests would hold them up and show them to the pilgrims, and they would say, Behold God's love for you! Behold God's love for you. Behold God's love for you. See your affection before the omnipresent. Behold God's love for you. One day a year, the people would get to see the bread and the menorah. Now Jesus in John 8 says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the eternal high priest. And I'm the bread, the bread of the presence, the sacred bread. So David today is asking the high priest of Israel for the holy bread that's only for priests. 
The priest says, there's no common bread here. I just have the holy bread. Are the men kept from women? Are they holy? Are they sacred? Are they consecrated? And David answered the priest, of the truth of women, women have been kept from us. We've been with no women. As always, when I, David, go on an expedition, the vessels of the young men are holy. They refrain from women. They're away from their wives. They refrain from anything unholy, even when it's a common journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave David the holy bread. There was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken. The priest gave David the bread of the presence, the holy bread of the high priest, because he gave him five loaves. That was the portion of the high priest of Israel. Now then, what have you had hand? Give me five loaves. Why five? Well, five, he had five smooth stones when he fought the giant. Remember, those five books signify Torah, God's word, God's law. David was always listening and obeying the word of the Lord. But also, five was the number of the high priest's portion of bread. The high priest always should follow Torah. Always. He should be so holy. Five. Is God showing David that he is also a priest? But he's not from the tribe of Levite. He's a Judahite. How can this be? In the genealogy of Matthew, right off the bat, Matthew says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He puts those three things first when there's so many things in between. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, Abraham had holy bread from a priest way back in Genesis 14. He wasn't a Levitical priest. It was Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which turned into Jerusalem many years later. He brought out what? Bread and wine. And he was priest of God most high. And he, Melchizedek, blessed Abraham. And the greater always blesses the lesser. He blessed Abraham. He was priest of God most high, who has delivered you from your enemies. Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has. Now, Melchizedek is also going to be mentioned by David in Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn, David, and he will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hmm. Jesus Christ, whose priesthood included offering bread and wine, Luke 22, the new covenant, it will also be, he's not a, a Levite, he is a Judahite. He, as Hebrews 7 tells us, is also in the priesthood of Melchizedek. He precedes the Levites. And we're told in the anamnesis of the first Eucharistic prayer, the sacrifice of Abraham, our father, in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim, Melchizedek. So just as Abraham received the holy bread from Melchizedek, David today will receive the holy bread from the high priest Ahimelech. Now Ahimelech is the 12th high priest of Israel. He's officiating at Nob. This is where David is visiting, and this is where the holy bread is kept on the golden table. David will receive the sacred bread from the high priest. Five loaves were for the high priest portion. Just like Torah, five always hear and obey the word of God. And that leaves seven loaves left over. 12 minus 5 is 7. 7 is for the rest of the priesthood. Only the priesthood though. No, no other people. 7. God is swearing a covenant. To seven oneself is to swear. To swear a covenant. Now, in the New Testament, we see the son of David, as Matthew calls him first in the titles. Son of David, Jesus Christ. And he multiplies something. What is it? Common bread. It's the little boy brought five barley loaves. How many? Five. 
How many does the high priest get? Five. Hmm, interesting. Five loaves are the high priestly portion to share with his own family. Jesus multiplies the common bread and they ate their fill. They gathered up all the fragments. They gathered them all up and filled how many baskets? Twelve. The fragments from the five barley loaves, the common bread, had multiplied to feed 5,000 people plus their wives plus all the children and still have 12 baskets left over. And the people shouted, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, the one Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. The people knew this wasn't common bread anymore. And not just the priests got to eat, not just the apostles, but all the people got to eat this bread. And there were still 12 baskets left over. Do you see? This isn't common bread anymore. And it's not just for priests. It's for all the people of God, all the sons and daughters of Abraham. Everybody eats this bread, not just the priests. So some scholars say five and two. There were also two fish. The two fish are the Jews and the Gentiles. This fish is for all people. David's given five loaves, the high priestly portion, and Jesus, the new son of David, recalls this event himself in the New Testament in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, Jesus' disciples began to pluck the ears of grain. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, oh, look, 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 look what they're doing, look what they're doing, this is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not read what David did? Have you not read what David did? When he was in need and he was hungry and he and those with him, how they entered the house of God and how David entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus was saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. They're being legalistic. David was their hero. Don't you remember what David did? He ate the priestly bread. The Sabbath was made for man. But also, David is made a priest like Jesus was made a priest, not of a Levitical priest, but a priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is a Psalm David wrote, 110, and it was his assurance of victory for God's priest king. David is not going to be just a king, but he's also going to be a priest. Now, 1 Samuel 21, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. His name is Doeg the Edomite. He's a chief of Saul's herdsmen, an Edomite. You know, that's Esau's line. So you know what that means. Perk up. David said to Ahimelech, have you a spear or a sword at hand? David has no weapons. He had no food. He has no weapons. For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. Now, Doeg is overhearing this conversation. The priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, I have it here. It's wrapped in an ephod. You take that. There's none like it. There's none like it. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So think of his memory now, his anamnesis, remembering that sword. When he was younger and he took that sword, it was Goliath's own sword, he killed Goliath with one stone, but he took Goliath's sword out and cut off the head of the giant with that very sword. That was part one of the first book of Samuel, chapters 21 through 26 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.